0: The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: I'm along with Chantel and Julian. We're here until 630. Then it begins our coverage of Rangers Predators at the Garden. Rangers coming off a very nicely performed win over the Penguins last night. And uh, they would look to do it again tonight. And we'll kick things off at 6.30 here on 987 ESPN. Lots to do inside this edition of the show. We got a bunch of guests for you. We're jam-packed today. Want to get a lot of information to you for you to mull over. Of course, we'll keep you updated on what's going on with the NCAA tournaments. Uh, give you some scores and things of that nature. Nets are battling the Denver Nuggets today. Nuggets fresh off a loss to the New York Knicks. We'll talk about that in a second. A little later in the show at 4 o'clock, we'll be joined uh, as we talk a little bit. And start to get ready, just kind of update you for football. Because we've been talking a lot about Aaron Rodgers, a lot about the Jets. Well, we want to talk about the Giants. Art Stapleton, who does a fantastic job uh, over in Jersey, uh, will join us at 4 o'clock. We'll talk to him, get an idea of where things are going with the Giants. Here in this Odell Beckham talk. So I want to find out from Art what's happening there. At 4.30, my good friend Rod Boone of the Charlotte Observer will join us. We'll get his thoughts on... Not Charlotte specifically, but I want to get his thoughts on this This NBA Eastern Conference. Uh, the Eastern Conference is shaping up to be really interesting. Okay, really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, especially with the top six teams. And, you know, we mentioned the Nets a couple of minutes ago. You know, they're not out of this thing. They have a shot to not drop into the play-in. They can, if they find a way to finish strong these next couple of games, they can find themselves going between fifth and sixth, Right between them and the Knicks, going back and forth. So we'll talk with Rod Boone about that at 4.30. And then at 5 o'clock, Rich Cimini, we'll talk about what's the latest with Aaron Rodgers, what are some of the other moves that the Jets are going to make. So we've got lots to do before we leave you at 6.30 tonight. But we begin with the New York Knicks. And I have to tell you, in the years that I have been covering sports in this town and how things have changed over the years, when I first got started, you – you couldn't root it. What it was frowned upon for you to root for a team that you were covering, right? You had to put your fandom in the back pocket and it, it really gave you because your listeners and, and readers, whatever case it was, deserved the unbiased opinion of you as a third person, not a fan, but a person who understands the game, who talks to people around the game, who talks to players and coaches and, officials and scouts and all the things that we do in the media to give an unbiased opinion of how your team, how the team you're covering is doing. Because once you, once you're allowed to be a fan emotionally, sometimes it colors how you look at the team, right? It does. And so for years I've had to almost put my fandom of Knicks aside, but not being a host where you have a little more leniency uh, as far as expressing your comments, right? When you're covering a team, it's specifically about the who's and the five W's, right? That, that's how it was. Who, what, when, where, why, and sometimes how. <laughs> and so it's about locking into those questions all the time. And emotion doesn't have a part in that. So now that I have this opportunity and the Knicks are good, uh, it, it it's amazing how your fandom Affects your emotions. And it's amazing how, over the past couple of years, the Knicks, aside from the 2020 uh, COVID shortened season, uh, it's just been weird watching them over the years. They've not been good. And so, when you watch them perform against a Denver Nuggets team with one of the MVP candidates of the league again, in the Joker, and you watch your team, a Nick team that has won, what, 17, 18 games in the season, 20 games in the season, 25 games in the season, and you watch them beat them. And not that it was luck that they beat them or Denver had an off night or they just looked over the Knicks to a next opponent. It was the fact that the team was actually competitive the team was actually good enough, talent-wise, that they had an opportunity, and they seized the opportunity late to finish off the top seed in the West. And so it is—it's—it's it's kind of weird <laughs> to experience this from this Nick team, and that's why I share with you so often that you have to enjoy the ride. So you want to look at what's going to happen next season, what's going to happen, you know, in the draft. What are they No, to... no, 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 no. Enjoy every single game. Take the opportunity to enjoy the journey. Yes, I know you have that thought process. Well, are they going to finish fourth. Oh, they can finish fourth they do this. Oh, they finish fifth. Well, I don't want them to finish sixth. The matchup. Ooh, I want... And it's getting close. I get it. Just try to take the opportunity. Okay. To just enjoy the ride. And enjoying the ride specifically meant the game last night. Or oh, yesterday afternoon at the garden. <clears throat> Boy, was it good to have Jalen Brunson back. It was a obvious difference in how the how the ball was handled, how it was moved, the tempo of the game. You it, it was just a total difference. You were able to enjoy it. And yes, you still got the bench contributions from Hart, who's been amazing. Quickly's been really good. Hartenstein has been excellent. And you, you're slowly seeing RJ Barrett come to form the way we talked about it. I mean, Brunson didn't shoot well. He was nine of 20, but that's okay. He, hadn't, he hasn't played in a week or more. So his shot will be okay. And, and the main thing is did he come? The biggest thing about yesterday not only was the win. But it's, okay, did he feel any ill effects? Is he okay? Will he be able to go tomorrow night when the Minnesota Timberwolves come to town so the Knicks can continue? This Knicks team is now 42 and 30, okay? They have 10 games left in this season to try to move up and get the best seeding they can. And so what you saw yesterday was a team that battled, what you saw yesterday is a team that who continues to get positive contributions off the bench. What you saw was a team that has a lot of confidence in themselves and what they can do. And it's it's a pleasure to watch. It just is because of all the bad basketball we've seen from this team. And are they the perfect team? No. We'll have callers who will break down a bunch of different things. Okay. That are negative. And I get it. The fact that they were 9 of 32 from three-point land. Uh, Okay. Yeah, no, they had an off-day shooting. But here's the bottom line. They still won. Okay? They still won. Well, if they do that in the postseason, I'm not worried about the postseason yet. Let me enjoy (laughs) this journey of a team, excuse me, that's got 42 wins. I did not expect 42 wins from this Nick team. At the beginning of the season, if you had told me this Knicks team was going to win 42 games, I would have said, you're right. Remember, after the season started, I was lamenting how bad this team was and that maybe they would make the plan. But something clicked. And the shortened rotation, we can go back and talk to that. The young players contributing, now that they have the opportunity to do so. Uh, The fact that Jalen Brunson has really taken a hold and control of this team, and you see the difference. The fact that Julius Randle has played extremely well. He's been consistent. He's been a walking double-double on average. Yesterday, 20.7 rebounds. Didn't have the double there. But and on rare occasions, the turnovers are up. But for the most season, the turnovers have been down. He's been averaging about 2.2 turnovers per game, which is a marked improvement. And you're seeing the difference. And I think... Even in this era or this season of unbelievable scoring, where you've got the average, you have to score on average, you've got to be able to score 120, 125 points to be able to win in this league consistently. They do a decent job defensively. But the most important thing that you've seen from them is they enjoy playing together. They enjoy playing with each other. It's not the, the distance or the... The, the, the issues that you saw with this team last year. This is a team that enjoys playing with, alongside each other, that enjoys working together, communication, sometimes spotty, but for the most part, they play really good basketball. And to watch the sellout crowd at the Garden, chanting defense at the end of the game, man, that, that sounds good. That really, really sounds good. The garden was alive. And even though they were down big, even though they were up big, the biggest thing for me, which is what if I'm allowed to look ahead to the postseason just a little bit, the biggest thing for me is fourth quarter execution. Because that's where games are won and lost. Yeah, you keep you yeah, you you don't wanna you don't wanna tease yourselves and fall into the double-digit deficits in the postseason because teams shorten their benches and they shorten their possessions. It's a slower, usually more physical game. And it'll be interesting to see if that's how it goes because of the way teams have been scoring in the regular season. So you don't have the opportunity to get down and come back the way you do in the regular season. So for me, it's about how they handle runs and how, how they execute offensively and defensively in the fourth quarter. That's what I'm most excited about. And that's what they did yesterday. They held a Denver Nuggets team. That is a very talented club to 19 points in the fourth quarter. And that's where that game was won. They held the Denver Nuggets to 19 points in the fourth quarter. And, What I'm most impressed are the young players, whether they play a lot or they don't, okay? McBride has been an integral part of this team while Jalen Brunson was out. Didn't get a sniff yesterday. But I know that if Tom Thibodeau calls him, he will be ready to go whenever he gets back into the game again. I know he will be. And see, that's the part that you love about this team. 1-800-919-3776. We'll take your phone calls next. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN.
0: The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: For what's next, born for a bolder taste. Jack Daniels and Coca-Cola born for this. Enjoy responsibly. We've got uh, a couple of tournament games going on right now as we speak. It's, uh, It's going to be fun. I love it. I love it. You got the 3 6 matchup right now with uh, Kent, Kentucky and uh, Kansas State. Kentucky with a 15 9 lead over Kansas State. Kentucky, the six seed. Kansas State, the three seed. One final earlier today. Number three, Xavier over number 11, Pittsburgh, 84 73. But I got to tell you, my eyes are on the matchup tonight seven forty five. Number 16, Fairleigh Dickinson University against number nine, Florida Atlantic. The Knights fresh off their elimination of the number one seed in Purdue earlier this weekend. Oh, boy. It's going to be interesting to see just how far the Knights can roll. 1-800-919-3776. Off to the phones we go. The coach from Florida. It's Spike. He's next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Spike.
0: Oh, what a treat to get you and here Rod Rod Boone, not Ron Boone, the former ABA player. <laughs> I think I think Rod was with the muckrack and Charlotte Observer, I think he's with yes. now. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and through the athletic for a while. He's a he's a fan. You could tell him some old guy reads him wherever he is. What a <laughs> what a terrific uh, uh cover. He's got some story going now. But he let does. me let me get to the let me get to the, the two games. The worst two, these two coaches, the Arizona coach and Purdue's coach, Painter, these guys, uh, my God, you talk about not performing in the postseason. (laughs) Both of them. I think uh, they lost, uh, Arizona lost 13, 15, and 14, and and Painter lost 16. And, I mean, you know, they have good years. But, you know, the payoff, unlike when we grew up, Larry, Mm -hmm. or I grew up, and you came after me 10 years or so, I'm guessing, uh, was – you know, you, the season meant more, but but be it as it may, let's get to the game yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you're wonderful to get uh, from you right after the game, when I called Gordon. It's just so wonderful. We're such good friends, and we know the team. We're thriving now. We enjoy it. They're not the best team, but I just can't understand how uh, Josh Hart was left go, and Isaiah Hartenstein, I knew was a corner three shooter with the Clippers. But uh, I sent you some stats that we broke down on, and I, I'll only repeat one of them, that they get the 50-50 balls, the two of them, when they're on the court more than the other eight guys, which mm-hmm. is tremendous, tremendous. And, and I'll tell you, Hartenstein's a really good interior passer. And I think what he did yesterday at the end of the game, Tibbs, throwing uh, Mitch back in, who uh, made this, this, the block, uh, made the alley-oop at the end of the game. Why didn't they call timeout? And Gordon said maybe they're on a long road trip, and they happen to be. But Denver's not even getting out of the West now. This is my opinion. I have one more thing to say. Could you comment on Denver? Because I don't think they're getting out of the West.
1: They've had a lot of – they just haven't played well, I'd say, over the past month, Um, Spike. I don't know what it is about them. I haven't seen them a lot, but just in the games I've watched, they're not getting the contribution from other players that you normally have. And that's, yeah. it's, it's, so I think that's the main thing. And, and, you know, I mean, is they rely so much on your kids to do everything for them, but they are a better mm-hmm. team when Caldwell Pope is able to hit the outside shot and extend them for the threes. That's when they're a better team. They just, they're just missing something. I don't know whether they yeah. are, you know, it, well, it right. could be that they're a team that understands, okay, we're here. Here's where we are. Let's, Dial it back. We'll cruise into the postseason and turn it up again. But that postseason, that the West is very tight this year. Very tight.
0: Well, well okay. well, I thank you for the time. One, two more quick things. What I came out of it with was a little different than you. Mm-hmm. They're not a good. Def, they're not a good defensive team. Well,
1: they never they're have just been, not really. They Never, never have, have been.
0: been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but uh, now now talking to a couple of people this morning, uh, if KD comes back, Phoenix may have a pretty good trip in there and they'll have to just get by the Clippers. But with the Knicks, look, it it looks to me, you can go win-loss who they play. The Knicks lost to Charlotte. That game won your game homestand. That's behind us now. I'm not looking ahead. Uh, the 31st game on March is against Cleveland. I I really don't care at this point. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Of course mm-hmm. I want to win. Of course I want to win. But, you know, invariably, you're going to have to win a game on the road to, to win a series, pretty much. You know, they don't go 4-3 uh, pretty much home. It's not like baseball a couple of years ago. But I was very, very impressed. And, and the what, when um, Josh Hart comes, I don't know if it's me, I'm very biased, or if it's you who's very biased, when Josh Hart comes on the court, the whole team seems to liven up. Am I wrong?
1: You're not wrong, Spike, and and thanks for your thoughts today. He he brings a certain energy. And he brings a certain energy that the team be- rallies around. It's just a change, it's like a change in tempo. And the fact that he can not only handle it but shoot it, play the defense, get the 50-50 balls that you mentioned, he and Hartenstein have, have really earned more playing time based on how they perform, based on their talent, based on the energy they bring to the table. So because of that, that's why you just see the team rally around them. And I just look at how Tibbs has used this team and used the bench and left Barrett to hang in with those guys when he brings the bench in. And for me, I thought it was a, a major statement for Barrett to be on the floor at the close of the game yesterday. Uh, he has not been on the floor at the close of many games, but he has earned that because of his offense, because of you, you see that he can play alongside Josh Hart. You see that he can play alongside those players, and you still have the opportunity to, to make baskets, and because he has improved in his free-throw shooting, there's not an urgency to keep him off the bench. Part of the reason why, and, you know, uh, we talk about Mitchell Robinson and, you know, he was messed up, concerned about his playing time and whatnot, part of the reason why you're afraid to have him on the floor late is because they're going to foul him. And he's, he struggles at the free-throw line. So, Hardenstein, a little bigger body, does a little better job understanding how you move, how you defend, especially p- folks in the post like a Jokic who's a little bigger uh, he, he, he just, he's done a really nice job. There's one thing that I saw yesterday from Julius Randle that a good friend of mine who I spoke with last week told me that Julius Randle had to do, and he wanted to see if the Nick coaching staff would have Randall make that adjustment. I'll share that with you next. It's the Larry Hardesty show on 98.7 ESPN.
0: The Larry Hardesty show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Fun things in covering sports in this town as long as I have is the great friends and folks that you meet and have long relationships with, and great conversations, and you learn so much from the people that you are surrounded. And one of my really good friends and I were having a conversation about Julius Randle, and much like any Nick fan, you, <laughs> you, he's the player you love to hate. In the sense of, you love what he's able to do. You love when he's on his game. You love when he's in the paint. Sometimes you you yell, you clench your fists with some of the threes, um, and the turnovers just drive you crazy. And so I was having this conversation with my my good friend, and I asked him, I said, "What can what can be done with the why is it that Julius Randle continues?" to turn his back knowing, because you know how thorough Tom Thibodeau is. You know that they've looked at video. You know that they know that when he puts the ball down late, they're going to send the second double team to take the ball away. You know they're going to do it because they've done it all the time. It's, it's And everybody does. And so you're like, why does he keep, why does he continue to do that when he knows and he's been coached and they come up with a different game plan and everything to thwart that, why does it keep happening over and over and over and over and over again? And so we're having this conversation and he said to me, it's very simple. He said, what all he has to do is instead of backing up, turn around and face the basket. If he turns around and faces the basket, then there's not going to be a blindside double team all the time. And he also alerted me to say, listen, you know, <laughs> I got a little, uh, <laughs> I got a little admonishing from him. He says, you know, it happens to more people than just Julius Randall, you know, I said, yeah, I understand that, but I'm really concerned about him. I'm not caring about anybody else right now. I'm really concerned about Julius Randall. And so the point is that if he faces the basket, then he'll see everything. Okay. He won't worry about where the double team and putting his back and backing in, instead of doing that, turn around and face the basket. And so, remarkably yesterday on more than one occasion you saw him actually do that where he turned faced the basket. Okay. And then made his move. And then what I found, what was really ironic was late in the game. It was Julius Randall while one of the Denver nuggets was dribbling. I believe it was, uh, I believe it was, uh, Josh Gordon. I think, I think, I'm, I'm not Josh, uh, Gordon. I, I believe it was him. Okay, I believe it was Gordon. But not only did Julius Randle not do that, but when Aaron Gordon put the ball on the floor, it was Julius Randle that came on the blind side and tipped the ball away, and that led to a break for the Knicks. So not only did he not turn the ball over in key moments in that situation, but he actually forced a turnover in that. So these are the things that, that you, and Spike kind of alluded to this when he was talking about the NCAA tournament. These are the things why the better your coaching staff, okay, the better detail, the way that you can try to hammer it into players is the way that they improve to make your team better. Ladies and gentlemen, coaching matters. Yeah, team. Yeah. Talent is extremely important, and I'm not trying to say it isn't. I'm not trying to minimize it, but great coaching is so good, and especially when you get to the postseason, okay, because when you get in a series where you know you know your opponent's plays and they know your plays, and it's it's really, as coaches love to say, and I've heard it over the years, when it comes down to execution, okay, where they may know what you're doing. But, okay, if you do it correctly, they won't be able to stop it. Uh, these are the type of things that you, that we're talking about, okay, in situations like this. So, I you know, normally I'm, I'm one of the folks who just give uh, Julius Randall all heck, but, you know, I was happy to see that he made the adjustment. Now, if he can do that consistently, and that's going to be the challenge. Because you guys know what happens. What happens normally is whenever – you're pressed in a situation where there sometimes is a lot of pressure, you will tend to revert back to the bad habit if you don't really continue to practice it and put it out of your mind and practice it and practice it and practice it and practice it. it, You will fall back into that habit. And so hopefully Julius Randle will not fall back into that habit and he'll continue to face the basket in key moments and see what's coming at him. And then put the ball on the deck and do whatever he needs to do, along with making quicker decisions that he'll be able to stay out of the situations where, you know, they come up with the double team and you have issues there. The other person I want to talk about is Quentin Grimes. And for me, I think Quentin Grimes has done a really solid job defensively. But I think the defense sometimes takes away from his offense. And you see sometimes his shooting numbers go down. Now, yesterday he was 3 of 7, but 3 of 5 from 3. And he is a guy that he is so important because with him outside able to hit the 3, it really spaces the floor in an area where the Knicks have, have clutter in the lane sometimes because you, got, because you have Mitchell Robinson in the lane, because you have Julius Randle flashing in and out of the paint. You have Jalen Brunson who loves to go into the lane and, and hit his mid-range jumper, which he does a tremendous job is in. You have R.J. Barrett who likes to go in the lane and when he's not hitting the three or when he's hitting the three, you see him going to the rack and finishing and trying to get in layups and going to the basket. So because of that, the lane is, you know, it, there's a lot of action in that lane. Okay. So when Grimes is able to pull out and hit that three, it does a tremendous job in opening the lane up. And it allows the Knicks to do some things there. Penetration, where they can drive and dish. You got Lob City to Mitchell Robinson. You you've got, as I mentioned, Julius Randle, who can do his in the paint bowling the china shop thing. So you have you have so many different options from an offensive standpoint when you see Quentin Grimes hitting that that three but i think that he's under a lot of pressure and and really when you when you when he is asked to guard the top scoring guard sometimes the top scoring 3 <laughs> or 4 uh in the lineup it, it it takes away from some of the things that he can do offensively so I, you know, I love what he's able to do. I love what he's brought to the table this season. I love his consistency and I really just enjoy watching him play. I just know that it's tough sometimes to come up that hard defensive effort and then come down and try to hit a three, you know, with all the, you know, with the the fatigue and all the other things that you go through the legs and legs get a little weak and so on and so forth that it affects his jumper, but He's done a nice job, and and as has Emmanuel Quickly, who has done a really solid job coming off that bench, getting the start when Brunson was out. He's really improved. Now, is he the consummate point guard? No. He is a guy who – he's a scoring – he's a guy that can play either the one or the two, and he can score. Is he the point guard that you really would rely on late in games? He's getting better. He's getting better. Okay, Um, I still think for some reason he is a bit apprehensive and sometimes dribbles too much. There is a thin line where you're trying to run out the clock and keep the clock, run it down where you get a good shot and take time off the clock to eliminate the possessions that your opponents get. So I get that. I understand that thought process extremely well. But sometimes I just think he may take an extra dribble or two too long. And now you're looking at, trying to get your offense started with seven seconds or with six seconds. And that can be an issue. All right. So that's what he needs to get a little better at, but you know, listen, because you know, that in a lot of cases, late in games, he's has to understand that because teams are going to try to take the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands. All right. They're going to double him and take it out of his hands. And so, quickly has to know and understand, okay, I have to get this offense moving in a timely manner, not too much time for where we're giving away, moving too much and giving teams uh, giving teams extra possessions, but I need to do this in the sense of I want us to get a good possession. And that's what young players have to work on. You always have to work on your game in the NBA because people are getting better every day, and you always have to get better, and you always have to make the adjustment to what they do to you. Your calls are next on 98.7 ESPN.
0: The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: Now We talk to Subi in Midtown. Subi, you're next on 98.7.
2: Hey, Larry, regarding the Mitchell Robinson situation, I was trying to understand his leverage with, you know, getting the ball more because I believe there's no real comparison with him in the league. I mean, at best, he's maybe a poor man, Jared Allen, or even the Brooklyn Nets have Speedy Clack, uh, Nick Claxton. So regarding his situation, I mean, he they gave him money as more of like, hey, we drafted you, we're playing you minutes, valuable. You're a valuable defender, but they also could have just kept Bobby Portis, and Bobby Portis is a great player who is not as tall as him, and but provides excellent defense and offense. So I'm just trying to understand his situation where he thinks he's like a top. Uh, three-player on this team, the Knicks. I mean, I'm trying to understand his situation because he's not going to change a game for you. He's more just the fourth or fifth best player on the team. That's all I got to say.
1: All right, Tooby, thanks for the phone call. From Mitchell Robinson's standpoint, I just think that he was a bit frustrated because he is being left out of the offense. Now, you are correct. He was not signed for his offense. His... his uh Claim to fame for this Nick team is what he brings as rim protection, and what he also brings, uh, you know, with rebounding and so on and so forth. So that's what he he does. And to be honest, he gets a lot of action off the off the glass and you know, rebound offensive rebounds and and of that nature and lobs. So that's where he gets his offense. I don't know that it was as much scoring Suby as it was playing time, because really. Over the past, I would say, week, 10 days, uh, Hartenstein has gotten more playing time, especially finishing games, than Mitchell Robinson has. And I alluded to that in the last segment, that Mitchell Robinson, because of his free throw shooting, or lack of same consistently, uh, it's hard to have him on the floor late in games, right? Because they're going to foul him. Because he just has that, he's not consistent in doing that. Um, I do think that he he has been toying with the idea. We've heard... Off and on, even in uh, before the season started, about him working on threes, he was shooting threes. He was trying to figure out how to shoot and become, you know, more of a weapon. And I will admit to you that there have been times that I thought that maybe on a couple of occasions that you could run the offense through him, get the ball in the low post, run some things off him, and you know, if they double team. Like you double team a Randall or you double team a Brunson, he would have one on one ability in the lane. Part of the issue that I see with him is he just doesn't handle the ball well. He has, his hands are not great. And so I think that's uh, a matter that, too, that the team is just not really, you know, going to run plays for Mitchell Robinson. They're just not going to do that right now. Now, eventually, maybe they will. Maybe he'll. Get some more work in the offseason and he'll do some things and he'll come back and show that he can be he's better, more skilled, more comfortable with handling the ball, has done some things on his own. And in the future, they might consider doing something where you have a low post presence. But let's be honest. When you look at the NBA now, I mean, the dominant players, yes, Jokic is dominant in the paint. Yes. Embiid is dominant in the plate in the paint. Yes, Giannis is dominant wherever he is. <laughs> Whether he's in the paint, he starts at the free throw line. Wherever he goes, he's dominant. And there are some, maybe a, a couple of other players who are dominant. But let's face it, this is a spread the floor three point shooting league right now. The age of the the, the big man in the paint, the the Akeem Olajuwon's, the Patrick Ewing's, the Alonzo Mornings, the uh, Motumbos, those guys, you, that's not the game that they play in the NBA anymore. Even Anthony Davis is shooting threes. <laughs> even though you've, I know you like some Laker fans would wish you'd be in the paint, but even he shoots threes. So I, a long answer is that I think that was his thought process, but I just don't see it changing at all. I'm with you. I don't see it changing. Mike's in Manhattan. What's up, Mike? What's up, Larry?
0: What's going on, man? Um, so I went into this week very excited with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that we're going to get it done. Um, but I feel like what the Packers are doing is is very un-Packer-like. I feel like it's not even like being professional, especially with the reports out there saying that other NFL executives wouldn't give a first round for it. So my question is, what type of compensation are we going to get um, or what are we going to give up to get Aaron? And when do you think it gets on?
1: All right, Mike, thanks for the phone call. Amini is going to join us at 5 o'clock, and we'll get his thoughts. He's been all over this. I I understand uh, what the Packers are doing. The Packers are trying to get the best deal available for them. And, of course, they're going to try to hold out for a number one, for a first-round pick. They're going to try. And the Jets, if they're smart, are going to try to not hold out for a first-round pick, even if they'll add players or player or players in con- as part of the compensation. So for me, I would say Aaron Rodgers is worth a first-round pick if he's going to if he's guaranteed to play multiple years. If he's playing one year, I'm not giving up a first-round pick for Aaron Rodgers to play one year. I might give you a couple of twos, but I'm not giving you a number one pick for a guy to play one year. I'm not doing it. That. That's just me. Jose's in Emerson. Jose, you're next on 98.7.
2: Hi, great show. Uh, I think that Randall is like a Bernard King and a Charles Oakley all put into one. And he gets a bad rap because we haven't had something like that in a long time. I think he's one of the best players we had in a very long time. And I just hope he keeps playing the way he is, and he's going to be the difference in the playoffs if we uh, finally get there. What
1: do you think? Well, I'll say this, Jose. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, He's not as consistent a scorer or as good of a, as a shooter as Bernard King. He's not, he's, he's not there. He, he, he's not there. Uh, the Oakley, the Oakley um, combine offensively, I will give you that they're very similar, B- but to be honest, I think Oakley might've been a better mid range shooter than Julius Randle. I mean, you know, when, when he was able to consistently do it, I think he might've been what Julius Randle does is, he is, He's an energy player, right? And when he is focused and he's got the energy, he, is, he, he can be dominant. The thing about him that I really appreciate, and it's been highlighted, especially in this conversation of load management in the NBA, has been his availability. He is always available. And I give him a lot of credit for that because of the physical nature and the physical game that he plays, for him to be available and not miss games and not, if anything, he's leading the league in minutes. Last time I looked, and for him to load those type of minutes, expected to play defense and offense with Tom Thibodeau logging him. Listen, he had 36 minutes yesterday. Uh, you know, he's going to in the postseason. He's going to go 40 and plus. So we could just look at that right now. The fact that he's available the way he's been says a lot about him, says a lot about his mental ability and the way he keeps his body. So uh, he is a very good player. And once again, we know he has flaws. Every player in the league has flaws. Okay, they all do. We hold our guys to a higher standard here in New York. We just do. And uh, he's had a really good year. And that's all I can say about it. He turns it over and see here's the thing that here's why we get on this case Jose. It's very simple. It's he can play an unbelievable game. Okay, he could be like just dominant. And in the fourth quarter with 4 minutes or less in the game there's going to be a play that he's going to make that's going to be a turnover in the key situation. And it drives you nuts. <laughs> it's going to be a play. And unfortunately, it's because of what's happened previously, where it's going to be a play that could lose a game. It's a turnover that's a key part of a run. It's a turnover where the Knicks don't have a chance to answer or they don't respond well to it. And you, just, you end up just driving yourself crazy. And that's the unfortunate thing. Avi's in Jersey. Avi, you're next on 98.7. How you doing, Larry? Good, man. What's up?
2: Good. Oh, uh, Yeah, I just uh, heard you at the end there about you talking about how Julius Randall throws the ball over, and that's why I called. Um, you know, I'm not... I know a lot of Knicks fans are not Julius Randall guys. I'm one of them. Um, he's great when he, you know... There's a lot of times where he's great, a lot of times where he's not. But every time he touches the ball, I am scared that he's going to turn the ball over. It's really amazing how he's a talented player, but for some reason, anytime he touches the ball, you think he's going to turn the ball over. He has no awareness sometimes, and that's what concerns me, and that's why I never thought he was a number one guy, Um, and that's why the Knicks, you know, they need a superstar to win the championship, and he's not a number one guy. He's never going to be. He would be a great, great number three, not even, even a number two. I don't know if he's a great number two. But anytime that guy touches the ball, you think he's going to turn the ball over. And you can't have that if you're going to win big games, especially in the playoffs.
1: I hear you, Avi. Thanks for the phone call. And yeah, that's just what I was talking about. And, and he could have an unbelievable game, and it's that turnover, something late that you expect. And, you know, hopefully. But see, now the key thing is right now is, and you saw it when Brunson was not in the lineup, but with Brunson in the lineup, it's you don't see him handle the ball as much. And that's a good thing. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's why you have a talented point guard who can also score in this case in Brunson. So he minimizes the mistakes for Randall because he minimizes Randall's opportunity to have to handle the ball. He'll put him in a position where all he's got to do is turn around and shoot, or maybe make a move or two to get better, to get better position. So hopefully that's the way it will be. And once again, As I mentioned earlier, you saw him yesterday do something later, uh, late in the game where he started to turn around and face the basket to eliminate the double team. So these are things that have been brought to his attention. He is slowly making the adjustment, and that's all you can ask. All you can ask is for him to realize what's happening, work on it, continue to work on it in practice because it's coming. And then he will make the adjustment. And as long as he faces the basket, it cuts down on that turnover. See, when he has the ball too much, he's passing the ball. He's jumping in the air with nowhere to go. These are situations where he's handling the ball too much. And the defense has made an adjustment. And he's trying to make a play. With Jalen Brunson in the lineup, hopefully he won't have to continue to do that. When we return, we'll turn our attention to the New York football giants, the moves they've made, and the moves they will make. Arthur Stapleton of NorthJersey.com joins me next on 98.7 ESPN.
0: The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.